This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I envision a world where every B2B SaaS startup succeeds because they're creating software that customers would miss if they were gone. And here's why. Research consistently shows that 90% of all startups fail, and that's bad. What's worse, however, is that 75% of SaaS scale-ups fail, companies that are supposed to have product market fit. Far too few scale-ups create the traction they aspire for and fail for the wrong reasons. And I believe this should stop. And hence I created my business. And the goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. First, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. Secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what it requires to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast today is Ahmed Al Samadisi, CEO of Narrator. We started with a goal. We had no idea of the implementation. So we were like, I don't know what the implementation is. And the goal was to ask good questions and give answers. And one of the things that I hated about answers that we gave today was answers that were given in the form of dashboards. So dashboards are, I think, the worst way to communicate anything. Everyone reads a story and is able to understand. So I knew that whatever narrator had to output when you are answering questions, we should be pushing people to create stories. So people's opinions and people's thoughts and people's like thinking process is shared because sharing a chart doesn't mean anything, but sharing a story, sharing a thinking, sharing a process is key. This is Ahmed. He started his career at Cornell's Autonomous System Laboratory, building algorithms for autonomous vehicles and human-robot interaction. He then joined Raytheon to develop AI algorithms for missile defense, focusing on tracking and discrimination. In 2015, Ahmed joined WeWork as their first hire on their data team. He built their data engineering infrastructure and grew the team to 40 data engineers and analysts. As WeWork grew, its data became difficult to maintain and the data team struggled to deliver work to stakeholders. Ahmed realized that a traditional data model designed for dashboards increases in complexity too quickly as the company scales. And that sparked the idea to the founding of Narrator in 2017. It powers self-service analytics across all company data and it's on a mission to enable everyone to get answers in minutes instead of weeks. And this inspired me, and hence I invited Ahmed to my podcast. We explore what is broken in the world of getting answers and how today's technology is holding us back. Ahmed is sharing his vision about the platform that he's creating to ask any question and have it answered in record time. He shares his big lessons learned in building a product designed to solve a problem that was initially perceived as impossible to solve. He digs into the messaging challenges that he had to overcome to create predictable traction. And lastly, he shares how his drive to create something that's remembered and makes an impact serves everyone well, his customers, his employees, his business, and his investors. 
By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, that you're off on building something remarkable when everybody thinks it's impossible. Secondly, that by looking at how we solve problems in ancient times can give you the answers to instantly turn customers into fans today. Thirdly, that the way to explain your solution most clearly is to have your fans do it for you. And fourthly, that what makes you a good company is not what makes you a good investment. Well, hi Ahmed, thank you for making the time available today and being the guest on the podcast. Thank you for having me, I'm excited to be here. Well, same for me here. When I read the storyline around narrator.ai, <laughs> it got me excited. And what I saw is hopefully, and we're going to explore that during the call, a story whereby it's really about bringing technology and people together to make them do things they've never been able to do before. So that's got to be the storyline that I'm after. But before we start, if you had to describe yourself as an entrepreneur and name two or three characteristics, what would they be? So I think as an entrepreneur, a couple of characteristics that I would hold really strongly is passion. So I think I'm very passionate. And I think I would say transparent. I think one of the other things that's important is to kind of share what you're doing, why you're doing it, everything you're doing it with like hearts open, sharing with the world and seeing how people respond. Because especially in the field that we're in, which we'll talk about in the kind of hostile environment that narrator has been started in and the world that we're trying to create against like lots of ginormous odds and companies and competition and a very big, many reasons to fail. I think that you can't really try to like power through it. You have to just be like, here's where we are. Here's what we're doing. And the world needs to see that. And they need to choose to join, whether it's your employees, whether it's your customers and whether it's the future, like more and more people. So transparency and passion are the two things that I think have allowed me to continue moving forward. Very well said. And I completely agree with you. That word transparent has also come across a couple of times in the interviews that I'm doing for my second book about resilience, but that's another story. We'll talk about it later. Yeah, I mean, you've already triggered a couple of things around your company. It started in 2017. Mm -hmm. What's the resolution you tried to start? Okay. So the starting of Narrator is very interesting because I didn't want to start a company. So what happened was I was working at WeWork and like, this is going to sound like people say like, oh, I had this like moment of brilliant idea. And I was like, I'm going to go make this happen. I was angry. <laughs> and the difference was I was so frustrated at the way data was behaving because I felt like we kept buying new tools and everyone kept promising on the world. And then we would have like a huge data team, 45 people, and we would get questions and it would take us forever to answer. And then executives would yell at us being like, how come it takes so long to do this? How come the numbers don't match? How come all these things are happening? Yeah. And I'd be there like, be like, well, it's more complicated than that. So that was always the case. And I realized a couple of major things. I was like, people don't know how to ask questions. People don't know what's a good question. We keep doing all these problems. So I started this thing called Data Cult, where I was like, I'm going to build People were like, do you want to call it a bootcamp? I was like, no, it's a cult. You're going to come in. I'm blocking off everyone in my team for two and a half weeks. And we're going to teach them how to think the way that I want them to think. Very aggressive. Very much like, here's how you ask a question. Like the first session is just me yelling at you. That's not a question. I'm like, give me a problem. They're like, oh, the problem is I don't know which referrer is the best source. I'm like, that's not a problem. Like, okay, it's Google. Cool. But 
Now what do you do? Like all these things were not problems. Getting people to understand when they ask a question, like, I'll give you the answer. What are you going to do with it? They're like, I don't know. I'm like, well, the answer is one. I used to come from an AI background. And if the answer is one or the answer is zero, like if you don't know what you're going to do if the answer is one and you don't know what you're going to do if the answer is zero, where it is in the spectrum will not matter. So this like this anger and then this program kept growing. And then I realized that after I trained people to ask good questions, it is really hard to answer good questions. <laughs> good questions are really hard to answer and there's no way to solve it. So I went on a tour. So I was like, I'm going to go find how people answer these hard questions. So I went to like Netflix and Amazon and Google and Apple. And I was just like asking people like, how do you do this? And what I got was, dude, that's the job. Like the job is to put people who like your job as a data engineer or a data analyst is to take those questions and like write the complex SQL to answer it. I'm like, but there's so many things that can go wrong in writing that, like building that table to answer it, like a hundred thousand things. And it's so complicated and it requires so much expertise. And they're like, yeah, so build training. Like we have all these like processes to like simple questions to go to juniors, hard questions go to senior. We have all these layers to build more preparing tables. And I'm like, this is insane. So I left WeWork with one goal, which was actually considered to be impossible. And the story of narrator starts with this impossible goal, which was, okay, There's no way to build enough tables for people to answer questions. What if we standardize all of data? What if all of data, no matter what company you are, no matter what industry you're in, all look the same? What if it all looked like one single table? Not like a complicated thing. What if it was 10 columns? Imagine a 10-column Excel sheet that's very long. That one table will answer every question you have, and every question will be able to be answered in five minutes. And if we can have all the data in the world be standardized, and you can answer any question with this table, then in theory, you should be able to reuse, copy and paste, reshare algorithms, share analyses, share work, because everyone in the world is now speaking the same language, which is this single table. Everyone in the world can now reuse work. And this process of standardization to create this has happened many times in the past. I looked at like Salesforce, which standardized all of sales, Stripe standardized all of billing, Shopify standardized e-commerce, Webflow standardized website building. They've created a world where you have this like world that you abide by. And if you abide by the Salesforce world, you can do anything you need in Salesforce. But how do you do that for data, which is just another word for saying information? (laughs) How do you do that for everything? And that's where narrative started. And if you can imagine me going to raise money, pitching people that I'm going to standardize all of data, people were like, this sounds impossible, insane, doesn't make any sense, like the holy grail. And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, but if I figured it out, wouldn't it be awesome? Wouldn't the world change? Wouldn't people be able to work differently? Wouldn't we create a world where analyses are shared? Like so many things that we ask, we know somebody else has asked and we do it. This exists in software. You have open source and like frameworks like React. And if you don't have all these, if all of software is built on top of thousands of other people's software, otherwise nothing will get built. But in data, everything is done from scratch. This world needs to exist. Now, it needs to exist. You need to standardize all data. You need to be able to do that to be able to have sharing. I believe it can exist. And my proof point was always like, I could read a blog from Netflix and understand what Netflix is doing without knowing what Netflix underlying data is. So there must exist something that can do it. And that's when narrative started. So it's that <laughs> level of let's go out there and change everything that exists. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, what a story. So what do you believe is the opportunity if we get this right? Like, if you're done, if the world starts to embrace this, what would be two or three things that you will instantly see? So one is way happier people. Because I remember my team, like you understand, everyone who gets into the field of data gets into it because they want to make an impact on the company. They want to make better decisions. That's what you want. That's where you start. Everyone's so hopeful. And what you do is you spend weeks and weeks and weeks trying to like wrangle these fucking queries to try to get a table to answer a question. Like weeks and months. And if the company's bigger, it's quarters. So like every data person kind of hates their job. So and so that we've created like so many jobs and we've killed like data analysts as a job doesn't exist as much as data engineers and data scientists, people who are preparing the data, people who are cleaning the data, people who are automating the analysis, people who are using AI. Mm -hmm. We forgot the whole role of being able to ask and answer good questions. So I want to bring that back. So that's the first thing that's going to happen. Two, interchangeability. So the world can work together. Data is so independent right now. Software is together. Sales is together. You have a stack exchange. You have a teamwork. In data, everyone solves the same problem 100 times over on their own. Yeah. So togetherness is the second big thing that I really want to see in the world. Three, way better decisions. I think everyone knows that good data with good analysis can lead to good decisions, but that's really hard. And no one really does it. It's really tricky. So I think that my whole vision of the world is that if everyone makes better decisions, then you have a better world. If you can enable everyone to ask and answer the questions that they have, and they will be able to make more informed decisions. And then I believe that will lead to a better place. I'm not here to tell you what morality is or what people want it, what decisions they want to make. But I'm here yeah. to tell you that I believe that people are naturally good. And if they're able to make better decisions with more information, then everyone will do everything a bit better. And that will, as a humanity and as a goal, everything will get a lot better. And right now, that's really hard. So yeah, that will be the dream world. And then there's only one piece of data. So instead of like thousands of software, thousands of different things, everyone just has the same common language, common mission, sharing, and then a place where everyone could do a little bit better decisions. Okay. I vote for that. I vote for that world. And I mean, I've seen these things happening as well. I mean, I come from the ERP world, so the enterprise research planning. And of course, it's also about data, about the company, about the performance of the financials and so on. Still, you know, it's never the full picture. And everybody's always talking about one version of the truth. Question of whether that is available. What is it? Yeah, what is it? Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, so you started this journey in 2017. First of all, how did you come to the name Narrator? Yeah, so the name Narrator actually came from the CTO of WeWork at that time was working with me. So Rowie Adler, who's an one of my incredible mentors. And we were trying to figure out what this is going to be. So we started with a goal. We had no idea of the implementation. So we were like, I don't know what the implementation is, but... I knew that I had this goal and the goal was to ask good questions and give answers. And one of the things that I hated about answers that we gave today was answers were given in the form of dashboards. So dashboards are, I think, the worst way to communicate anything. <laughs> like I always make the same joke, which is if you show 10 people the same dashboard, they will get 10 different outputs. So one of the things that I wanted to do was how will we solve this problem before? And the answer was stories. Everyone reads a story and is able to understand. And when you see what consultants do, consultants put together a story and they have data to as supporting evidence to a coherent story. So yeah. I knew that whatever narrator had to output when you are answering questions, we should be pushing people to create stories. So people's opinions and people's thoughts and people's like thinking process is shared because sharing a chart 
doesn't mean anything, but sharing a story, sharing a thinking, sharing a process is key. So I knew that the input had to be some standardization and the output had to be a story. And I wanted to figure out what is the name of a company that can encapsulate telling stories with data. And in that world, Narrator came out. I also didn't want any like random, I wanted to be spelled correctly. I wanted to have a domain for it. I wanted to be useful. And then I wanted to be able to expand on it. So we have Narrator and our stories are called narratives and you get these concepts and like you can begin building those kind of words that help people know that they're getting something different, not just a chart or a dashboard. Love it. And I mean, I'll tell you why. I mean, I wrote my book, The Remarkable Effects. Trade number three of a remarkable software company is they aim to be different, not just better. Yeah. And so glad that you were, are not the so manyest vendor that is decided that decided to build a better dashboard. Well, so actually on that point, I talked a lot about this thing because I find it interesting. Being different versus being better. It's a really hard game. So I'm sure all the entrepreneurs are listening to this thing. People often think that being different is like, there's a lot of benefits of being different. One is uniqueness. Two, you have the potential to win the market. You can create a category. So this is all really great stuff we can be by being different. Every major ginormous company has been different. Like you have to be different to stand out. The problem is being different also means it sucks at raising money. You really, you struggle really hard to get your first and second customer because you're trying to convince someone to use something that's different that everyone else in the world tells you to use the other's way. And now you're trying to get them to buy the product and pay money for something. And you're a small company, so your software is still being built and you're competing with like companies that are Google and Amazon. And you're not just trying to change the tool and just make it better. You're trying to change the thinking and not just the thinking of the person who's buying, but the thinking of the person who's buying and his ability to convince everyone's thinking, especially in data, it's the whole company has to change its thinking. So you're not just selling to one or two or three or five. So it's really hard to get revenue, which means it's really hard to raise money because you're like, yes, the total addressable market is humongous and you could be a built a ginormous $100 trillion company in data space if you standardize all data. But how do you get there? They're like, well, you're competing. Three, you're fighting against everyone else's marketing, not their product. You're fighting against everyone else's marketing, which means in better like every company is better is raising 50 to hundred million dollars. They're spending that telling the world that this is what you should do. And you're like, this doesn't work being different. You're targeting a customer segment that understands why you need different. If you're young or you're junior, you've only done this for like a couple of years. You're like, I don't get why any different when you have a bunch of battle scars, you're like, wow, I know why we need to innovate. You don't innovate because of like you want to, you innovate because you've been scarred so many times that you know the current way doesn't work. Yeah. Like it took me four or five times before I'm like, I've done the same process four or five times with like six different tools. It doesn't work for me to be like different. So different is like the riskiest path. And not only that, you have to convince every new person that joins your company to follow this difference. So it's just a huge hurdle. And like, I would like love one day to like meet people. Like I think one day I will probably try to start like helping companies like outside of data, but like it's the story of difference where the world is really stacked against you. And everyone says, if you're, you're not best practice, you're, why haven't you sold anything? Why aren't you growing? Like why can't you raise money? And it's really, really, really hard to be different. And you're just in a space where everyone is telling, because everyone has billions and billions of dollars on the line to mm. not change your mind. And you hear stories of Tesla and Elon Musk is like crying and saying like, 
Tesla almost died and going bankrupt and he funded it himself and he's a billionaire. Like it's because people were like, why would I write use electric cars? Like you want a remote control car? Like this is never going to work. And when you release your first version, people are like, this sucks. Like, look how shitty your manufacturing is. And he's like, I just have to reinvent all of cars. And you're worried that the mirror is not aligned perfectly. Like, okay, well, we have to be better. And not just better. You have to be so much better in the product, not just in the innovation and the world you build around it, that it can overcome the momentum of everything else. And like, how do you survive that without dying is really hard. And so when you're innovating for, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, it is. It's really hard. But at the end, it is worth pursuing. And I mean, when someone is using a solution, there is an incumbent vendor there. For If it's not broken, for that company to say, okay, I'm going to jump for 10% better, they're not going to jump. It needs to be way better. And very often, looking at trying to make, a, for example, a dashboard a little bit better, you're going to end up with the 10%. So in order to achieve something that is going to deliver on those results and solve the pain that these people have, there's valuable and critical pains in a way that where they say, Okay, now I get it. Amazing job. This is what I need. That's where you get only with I, looking at the problem in a different way. So sometimes I actually argue that that's, that doesn't happen. So we are us. We will take the pathway and we'll show you this in our demos. Two and a half week project. Give me the hardest question you've ever answered. Give me the longest it took you to answer it. And if we can't do it in like literally 30 minutes in front of you, starting from scratch, you should not buy our product. So we're talking about like, our, usually it's like 100 to 200x faster and better and more accurate. And? The problem is, the problem is, is that really that good? Here's what happens. I'll tell you. One, the team is going, well, it's different. So I have to learn something new. But everyone in the world is already doing the other way. So like being a thousand X better doesn't really matter because there's no pressure from the competition because every other company is doing it at the same speed. So you have to convince them. Two, now I'm ahead of data. This is so much faster. We've gotten this email many times. Well, I want to grow my team. And the reason why I need to grow my team is capacity. And you're telling me that you're going to increase the people. So I actually, the way that heads of data get promoted and go to the next team is based on how many people they manage. Executives love, I manage a team of 500. So now you're actually hurting them because they're not able to hire. Three is the worst part. Let's say you do use it. This happens all the time. And you get 100x better. Do you think your boss is happy with you or sometimes concerned? Because your boss isn't saying, your boss isn't saying, wow, you got 100x better. He goes, what the fuck were you doing in the past that made you so slow? Yeah. So it's a cultural thing I, I, I get to be you. just better. True. The, the way you have to overcome it, when we have overcome it for all of our customers, is again, like you said, you said it well. I'm just saying it's like not as easy as people often seem. Like you're just, you show them something 100x better. Well, you show them 100x better, and then you provide value, and then you enable them to be superstars, and then you find ways where everyone who's in the team can do more. And you have to find like an actual, not only cultural, but in a way, change the company and find a visionary leader who understands why we want to destroy the competition and like then give them that superpower. So it's this entire like whole art, but it's not just about being a thousand X better. You can be a thousand X better, but you have to convince culture and change and shift mentalities. And like, I'm here like, preaching and like maybe a thousand people be like like half of people that listen to this will probably say i don't believe he can do it and they won't even bother testing or seeing giving a try the other half will say wow that sounds like i don't want to change everything it seems like a lot of work i'm too busy right now i'm like too busy in the junk true exactly. and then 
it takes probably two people from here are going to be like, you know what? I do believe in helping my company and making it a lot better. And this will be a net good for my company and my team to enable them to do more. And I care a lot more about the value I add and they will do it. Let me make a small interruption here. Ahmed just made a critical remark about the things that gave him traction. Niching down towards an audience that cares about what they care about. That believe what they believe. Organizations where when they engage in conversations go like yes and versus yes but. It's a trait remarkable software companies master. They realize that they can't please everyone. They also realize that even if they have the best product in the world by 10x, some people still won't care. And that's okay. What they do is to create a perfect segmentation cocktail by adding four or five additional ingredients beyond demographics. And you can master these traits as well. The first step, simply read my book. I've made the electronic version available for free. Just visit theremarkableeffect.com to grab your copy and inspiration will spark in the next 10 minutes. Back to the interview. And those people end up actually, when you end up using Narrator, the story ends up becoming is like the executives end up loving you because you're able to give them data and stories and they love it. And you're able to do them much faster and they feel like they're way less under pressure. And yep. the sad truth is, is like the competition is very small. Once these co- more and more companies start using Narrator and they're doing it 100x better, now it's no longer you have to be a visionary leader to try it. It's like True. change or die. Like you're, you can't compete. Like you can't exactly. be an e-commerce company like a small e-commerce company competing with other small e-commerce companies and you're building your own supply chain and your own website, you're just never going to be able to survive. Use the things that exist and you have to use the standard. And that's what we're going to see. Well said. You know, I, you almost summarized the long-form blog that I'm writing currently around segmentation. <laughs> and it has all those components in there. Because to come to find those organizations that are going to, I mean, they're going to take it out of your hands it needs to go far beyond, okay, it's for large organizations in the United States, you know, because of all the things that you mentioned, the risk that they tolerate or don't tolerate, the cultures that they have internally, the hierarchies that they have, who they need to please and who they try to protect themselves against. All of those things play a role. And whether you're a thousand times better, sometimes people just don't care because it's a danger to them. It's the turkey before Christmas. Well said. So, Let's go sort of the journey now on how you're you know, trying to kind of solve this enormous challenge, quest, given the fact that databases have been around for a long time. I don't think that you're going to get direction. But where do you start? You know, how did you get going on solving this in the way that you aspire? Yeah. So I really believe in a world of in design principles of constraints. Yeah, perfect. So we had a belief that there is a model and we actually made a simple model that we call it the activity schema. A lot of other companies use it nowadays, but it's this idea of what if you center the world around everyone talks about their core customer doing some actions in time. And if you can build a world where every question can be answered by arranging customer behavior in a specific way, you can answer it. The challenge is how do you do that? How do you arrange data? It's not very queryable. You have to deal, it has to work for hundred billion rows. With security, you have to do it on their system. You can't even take data out of your, like a lot of companies take data out. We were like, no, 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 no. We're not going to be a tool that takes your data out. We're going to keep your data in your system. We're going to keep you in control and we're going to guide you to be able to do this. So we had this idea of how this could be. We called it so, but the idea was like, in theory, this should work. And we know a lot of companies that have tried a similar approach and didn't work and died. 
So we were like, how do you battle test this? So what we ended up doing, honestly, was starting with one customer, like as like a design partner, and then a couple of customers. And then we were like, okay, this is really like, no one can figure this out. It's like really hard to use. So we're like, how about we retest this? So we became consultants. And the idea was, in theory, I was the only data person at, this, at the company at the time. So I was like, I should be able to answer unlimited questions from companies. So we signed up these companies and we said, 10 companies for me. And we offered them unlimited questions via Slack. Slack me any questions about your data and I will answer it for you as a response. And we'll do it within 24 hours. And I was going to, we we're going to sell 10 companies. So that we have 10x, like as like a full data team as a service. And the idea was, in theory, if I can replace an entire data team for 10 companies, we've done something really magical. Yeah. True. Now, the level of efficiency that I need to have to do answer questions for 10 people that are shot firing through Slack is really, really, really fast. So we ended up just battling through it. And like, I can tell you early days of narrator, it was like an airline dashboard of like a thousand clicks that it was just like impossible because we kept adding more things because we needed more edge cases and more edge cases and more edge cases and more edge cases. And we kind of figured out where like the gaps were. We rethought some things and we iterated on that world and we kind of simplified and simplified and simplified because we had to be simplified. Small stuff like column naming and like making decisions for me when I clicked needed to happen because I'm trying to bombard these people answering me questions. Realize that a lot of people their questions are so bad. So we had to like figure out how do I take a bad question and make it a good question? And like, I'll give you an example of a bad question and everyone in here will say, that's a great question. And I'm like, but it's a bad question. And teaching people, and how do you teach someone to bad question? So we had to like build little forms and ended up making little widgets for them to force them to input in their question in a way where it kind of forced them to give me a good question. Yeah. And then we slowly started realizing that this is working. So we then killed all our consultants, built it as a product, built the world around it, and began out there. And it started, people started, and then we started selling, getting people on board, new visionary, next visionary, next visionary. People started loving it. We haven't seen the customer voluntary churn yet. Like people were like really excited. They were telling their friends, we spent zero dollars on marketing. And then we started, we're like, great, we built this thing that's awesome. The ability to answer and prepare data. And now we want to build stories. So we started building stories. And then we started allowing people to write their own stories in Narrator and create these like what we call narratives that people really enjoyed receiving. And then we realized the last piece that made Narrator super cool, which is, wait a second, this story is on top of a standard schema, which is what we always wanted. So can we build, instead of building a template, can we take any story that anyone wrote, remove everything that's related to that customer's data? and then regenerate it based on another customer's data because they all use the underlying same standard structure. Yeah. So we built this process to take any analysis, templatize it, and then reuse it. And then we tested it with a couple of analyses that we built and people started using them all the time. And we realized that like even our most common and used analysis is how does X impact Y? Simple question. And yeah. just analyzes. And we've seen used it for like healthcare to e-commerce to operations and so many things. And today we have companies like our banks and crypto and insurance and e-commerce and like referral services and schools and education and media like PBS and CBS and like real estate investments like Appfolio just and search engines like Kiwi, like all these different companies are now using it. And now we're about to hopefully starting early next year, we're going to release it, the narrator store where that vision where you can uh-huh. literally search for any analysis 
click on it, have it on yours. But you can also, as a company, start uploading your own analyses. You can sell your own analysis and anyone else can buy it and use it. And we're beginning to see that world come to fruition. So that's kind of how we got there. But it was a lot of initial work, just blood, sweat, and tears. Like we were like, we still say it. We use our product for everything from the early days of like consulting. Like today, if you go to our board meeting, our board decks are built in narrator. Our investor updates are built in narrator. Our analysis are built in narrators. Our product specs are built in narrator. Like everything we do. Yeah. If you are using our product, you're going to get these things we call moments emails. And it's going to be like, oh, I noticed that you did this thing, but you haven't looked at this doc. Check out this really cool doc. That's combining data from like six systems. That entire thing is built by a data analyst using narrator, triggering an email from narrator and getting that information. Uh-huh. So much, our alerts, our security, our ability to maintain our clean data built in narrator. So we ended up like just going really hard in like narrator. And that makes us one of our best customers. And that's kind of like how we've kind of created that environment with our customers are always like, oh, you thought about everything. And I'm like, no, we didn't think about everything. We just struggled with using our own tool for years and had to build this stuff for ourselves. And because we use Narrator, every single person in Narrator uses Narrator every day to answer questions. We're like, we know how annoying any little thing is. So we will catch the bug way before you even think about it because we're superpower users. So that's kind of how we got there. And today it's been just a different, it's a different world now, but yes. Yeah, it's fascinating how these things evolve in a way that you cannot even dream of them before and how this just naturally follows a stream to value. And caveat there, just so you know, this is my romanticized story. Like there's also all the shit in between where like the company (laughs) almost lost all its money. We had to lay off half our team. Everyone went down to minimum wage. We were like crying. We couldn't figure out what to do. Then we like got a hope and then we had a spike of things. And then we signed up like 150 people with this like big campaign. And then everyone was like, this is so confusing. So we went down to zero again. Then we were dying. Then we tried to get some money. There's all these things in between where like we're dying, not dying, dying, not dying. Like that's the way I think the romanticized story works but like as long as you uh, constantly progress a little bit at some point you'll get there but i agree i mean the stories that i typically get is are indeed just hopes and bounces the world's best known investor and wall street expert warren buffett once said wall street is the only place that people ride to in a rolls royce to get advice from those who take the subway mr buffett's quote is remarkably accurate but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel. What has been the hardest nut to crack on this journey? The hardest nut to crack? Yeah, one that you kind of that is worth sharing here. Yeah. Telling people what narrator is. Like that is the hardest problem I think that we have not been able to do. Because if you describe narrator as what it is, it sounds unrealistic and everyone's like, this is bullshit. I don't want to give it a try. If you explain it with why it actually works then it's too nuanced that no one can understand it because you have to be a super, super expert in understanding the local problem. If you explain it as like the value that you add, every other dashboard tool is promising you that you can change the world. Like every case study from like any plotter, any visualizing tool is like Coca-Cola made a billion dollars by 
understanding their customers. And you're like, what did you do as like, you visualized one chart, like the person who used your tool, like did all the work, you made the plot. So it's really hard for like, to explain why we're different, why it's nuanced. The person who cares about saving money is usually not the person who's going to buy because they don't know why they would buy. The person who understands the problem can't buy and they don't care about saving money because they need to grow their team. So there's this whole thing of how do you explain narrator so that people understand it is a really, really, really hard problem. And we've done this with many customers. Like I talked to like people and I would show the narrator and I'm like, okay, remember in the beginning how you like thought it was those said it was bullshit. Did you understand it? Now that you understand it, how would you describe narrator? And everyone will tell you the same thing. Yeah. There's like no way. Like, and I say the same myself. I was like, if you told me, explain to me narrator when I was working out, we work, I would say bullshit. There's no way you do like how, because yeah. it requires like that, like level of, and then you become a believer. And then you're like, it seems so natural that everyone was like, how come everyone doesn't do it this way? And all our customers are like massive supporters. And they're like, how is everyone not using this? This is insane. Yeah. But you have to like, you have that curse of knowledge. So I have not figured that out. We still will continue to it. No, I have not. We're still fighting, fighting that battle. Like, I think that like, it's still very hard like to explain how and why narrative works for people to actually understand it. And it's very tricky. Like, and there's different, we use like 50 different explanations, but like eventually we'll figure yeah. that out. We just hired someone to kind of help us with this process. <laughs> I'd love to get my hands dirty on that. It's like already itching, but that's a different story. Let me see. What has been a counterintuitive lesson that you've learned along the way? Something that oh. you thought was going to go this way that went the other way and it seems to be super valuable. Oh my God. Roles don't solve problems. And... It's like a very unique thing. So here's what happens in companies. People are like, oh, your product's confusing to use. And you're like, hire a head of UX. This is ugly. Hire a head of design. Like, oh, this is really hard to understand. Hire a head of marketing. Like, and now you have the other people on the team and you're growing your team. It like, you have to pay a lot more salaries. Everyone's confused. And the problem isn't solved. People, hiring more people has never solved a problem. I think people love throwing more people at the problem and people doing it. So we hire mostly engineers and we don't have a single designer and narrator. We don't have a single product person and narrator. We just work with our customers and iterate and iterate and prototype and iterate and iterate until we build the right thing. And engineers respond to your tickets. Engineers do support. Engineers do your customer success. Our VP of marketing was a former engineer. So like, it's like always like focus on people who have care and understanding so that's one thing that I think is a really hard lesson because it's so easy to think that like a VP of sales is going to solve your sales problem. They might help, but like might not. So, and a lot of like your board and your investors would be like, oh, you clearly have a engineering problem because like your product is like, or you have a design problem. You need to hire the best designer in the world. So that's like all those like kind of arguments really don't help you. And the second thing, I, the second counterintuitive lesson is what makes you a good company is not what makes you a good investment. Mm, explain. Like, okay, so here's the deal. So we are right now an 11-person company. I would consider ourselves incredibly capital efficient and incredibly senior team and really good at what we do. We've built an entire product that is used by companies of all sorts of scale, 11 people. That should be incredible. We don't spend money on stuff that we don't need and we're very focused and we have like a very, very, very talented and a great product. 
all that stuff, bad for VCs. If you're a small team, you're not growing fast enough. And therefore, like you actually don't like they, they look at you as like a risky investment. We've been told that they're like, oh, you're too small. And I'm like, based on what? Based so on what, yeah. small teams is not good. Capital efficiency, actually not good too. They're like, well, why aren't you spending to grow? Why aren't you spending to grow? Why aren't you spending to grow? And we're like, well, we're growing methodically. Like they're like, well, you have to try paralyze, paralyze. I'm like, we can't paralyze. That distracts us. Let's focus. Let's do the work. Let's analyze the data. Let's make decisions. Oh, you're too gun shy. You're like, you're not taking enough risks. And I'm like, okay. So these things that you think are good uh-huh. make you bad. And it's weird. Yeah, for capital who? efficiency, yeah. it's it things being super different. And they're like, well, what trend are you part of? Like, how are you going to get more customers? Like, what trend? Like, everyone is doing this. Why don't you do this? Like, and there's this illusion that VCs push you toward, which is like, oh, well, instead of innovating and like building everything, like making things differently, why don't you build the same thing and then slowly acquire enough customers and then change them to follow your new methodology? Because it's way easier to acquire customers when you're building better. And I'm like, because no one has ever done that. No one has gone from better to different. It's impossible. You, once you're better, they have your customers and they want, and you build features. So like all these like things that you think I'm like, oh, like our customers love the fact that when they talk to a support person, it's an engineer, which means if there's a bug, it's fixed. We were bug free for like months. There's a bug, it's fixed. If there's a conceptual question, they're like, how dare you? Why are we seeing engineering hours? Like, so a lot of these things that I thought were like really good, the fact that our market is so big, the fact that our potential is so big, the fact that we acquired customers, the fact that we have these all sides. Oh my God. We showed that we can support our system. Our approach can work for I told you like 20 different industries and you get like, okay, well, then you're not focused on one customer. You need to focus on like e-commerce and build the best product for e-commerce. And I'm like, well, that's not the point. We're trying to build a standard. So you have to show that the standard works for everyone. If you only sell to e-commerce, then you build a standard for e-commerce. And now you're just like a shitty Shopify. Like, and they're like, well, it's so all these things that you think are like really great things that makes the business really good, makes you a bad investment. And being a bad investment is like signing a death warrant also because a lot of VCs follow other VCs. So like, it's all about trends in VC world. Like everyone wants to capture the rise of a trend and it trends amplify other trends because you invest money in the trends. So you get this like VC flood the market with so much capital in like one trend, that trend goes up. And now you're like, you don't know, same thing. VCs haven't been operators for years. They haven't answered a question. So all they know, all their information comes from marketing. They know what other companies are marketing, not what anyone has actually solved or built. They're not using the product. They don't. So building a product that works is good, but you can't say, oh, we work, but theirs doesn't. Like, they're like, well, they say they do this. I'm like, but they don't. It's like a nuanced point. Like, exactly. So those kind of things that you think makes you a great product and a great company and a great culture and a small team that values their people and like pays them really well. And doing these things is like all these things that make you a good company in my mind. And in like what I believe is a good product and a good company and a good, what we deliver to our customers, a good promise. All those things surprisingly make us a really bad investment. So you have to work really hard to find the few investors who exist, who believe in the difference who want to spend the time to learn, who really dedicate themselves to it. And then not only that, we have to also get them to be able to convince the rest of their investors. And it's a whole process. 
wrote a blog recently about yeah, how to kind of get out of this vicious cycle of chasing funding in a desperate way. Because that's what I see a lot of companies do. You know, they get into this treadmill and they're chasing something that they're not chasing for because they want it. It's because they're being told to and it's the expectations that are there. I really like the way you're doing it because it will make you a very strong company. And at some point in time, they will be knocking on your door because they want to invest and be part of that success journey. Never been a company out there that has failed because of not being profitable or not having a good cash flow or not having customers and so on. Customers that are raving about you. And that's what ends up happening. You end up controlling your own destiny. And the thing about it is like, to be honest with VCs, and yeah. they will do it. The moment that like the world starts shifting and, and we have, we slowly get the world shifting. We're going to continue to raise money. We're going to be profitable pretty soon. So like we're going to have our own fate is they have to then eventually pay a very big premium to be involved. And that's the thing that they don't understand is like, and they're sometimes willing to do that. They're like, and then you're like, now that it's going that direction and the world is shifting. First of all, you beat your head because you only, VCs do make money. The funny thing about their business model is that they only make money on companies that do like a thousand to 2000 X, right? Like they don't make yeah. money on companies that like follow the curve and do three times better. They only make money on the big winners. So like, it's just an interesting, very, very interesting world that you see in, but it's reality. And I think yeah. that like, and people change it and people do differently and people grow and make these things happen. So we're going to be in this place. And I don't know, I'm not worried. I think it's a really good journey. And I think that the best thing that I can do is remind the world to the world that like, it still does work. Cause like, I do see a lot of entrepreneurs that like, it is a gruesome battle that you're doing when you're different. Oh yeah. But the world doesn't move forward with better. The world takes leaps thanks to difference. Exactly. Well said. So, I mean, I already kind of highlighted one thing about one of those, those traits in my book, The Remarkable Effect, about being different, not just better. What do you believe are the secrets of building a company that people start talking about and keep talking about? I personally love the like over-the-top nature of companies. So here's the deal. Like I use Salesforce as a lot of my like, because they standardize all sales. And Salesforce is a really interesting story if you ever read it. Their biggest campaign was the anti-CRM. Salesforce used to say like, fuck CRMs. And this whole, it's really funny because when you think of Salesforce right now, you think of CRM and they're like the letters for when they're on the stock exchange, they took CRM as like a fuck you to the entire industry, but like they won the industry and then they owned it. But their anti-CRM campaign was really interesting because it really pushed everyone to understand that like there's something out there that's different. And I think narrator is, I think that's kind of what keeps people excited. I think you have to be able to do something that's really, really had a shock factor. So people know, like I do my demos are always, I do them when I go to conferences. If you search me up on YouTube, you probably see a conference that I've done. And I literally say to the stage, I'm like, you're a bunch of data people. Anyone can get up right now and ask me any question and live on stage, I will try to answer it using narrator. Like I'm going to take an, like in front of everyone, I will confidently take any question from anyone in the audience and live answer it. And I've done this thing in many like closing decks at Narrator. I do this all the time. And I think that gets people to be like, wait, wait, wait. What? How? Like how? What's the catch? And I think when people start asking what's the catch, they start researching to figure out what the catch is. And I think when people find, figure out what the catch is, they actually are usually like very appreciative because they're like, wow, that is brilliant. That one, because there is one thing that makes Narrator work. And it's the thing that makes our innovation. So it took us two and a half years to actually get to work. And 
once you get that piece, you begin appreciating this world. And then you're like, wow, I get it. And I think that's yeah. like a beautiful moment. So that's what we're trying to do. And you're probably in the future, we're probably doing a lot more campaigns pushing the world to do it. But it is one of those things where it is very hard to avoid the millions and hundreds of millions of dollars that companies have taken to get people to not change. And that's the challenge is everyone is telling you to not change and telling you to like, oh, to keep doing the same way and it works. And you see this thing, Coca-Cola is doing it. Like, ah, da, da. Amazon's doing it. Google's doing it. And you're like, are they? <laughs> what are they doing? Like, it's so I think that's the fascinating world. But in all these, in every story, in every history, when you look at the winners, they tell you it's the same story. It's going to be the same story. You have standardized, fought against the odds. People then realize, and now Tesla's the biggest car company in the world, and everyone's building its electric cars, but now they're competing in a field that Tesla owns. Exactly. And now you have to do so much better to yeah. try to overcome that momentum. And I think that's the nature. So we play this game and we continue to play and it's going to be a fun world. Kudos for you. Kudos for you. So we're getting towards the top of the hour and we can talk for hours. Let me see from your entrepreneurial journey, what would be a do and what would be a don't in terms of advice to peer CEOs? I would say do bring your entire team for decision-making. So I think that's a very common thing that you keep your decision-making to just your executive branch and you have all this like trickle-down information. Don't do that. Do is bring your whole team into it. Our board decks, our investor updates, everything we do is a narrator, which everyone in narrator has access to. So super like bringing everyone in and so much of the innovation of narrator and so much of the ideas came out of not a bunch of executives sitting in a room deciding what to do, but people involved being like, hey, this is, we need to do this. And if you need people give people a voice, then they will feel confident to be like, hey, that's strong. And I think that's great. Uh, don't, which I try not to, but it's so hard not to. Don't get distracted. Don't look at like tech news. <laughs> like try to minimize the tech news because tech news fucking crushes you. Like I think like the, all the times I've ever been like so crushed and demotivated is because of tech news. And you see like a company that does like nothing and you're like, this is such a stupid product and they raise like a hundred million dollars. And you're like, you're like, you literally do the same thing that 700 other people are doing. Like the amount of companies that have started databases after Snowflake went public or the amount of companies that do a five trend, like it's just like any company does well, there's like a hundred companies, not just doing the same thing, a different color. And they raise like so much money because it's so much easier to sell. So they can show a lot of revenue growth very quickly because they can be like, Hey, you have this, but we have one feature that this app doesn't have. And like, that's so hard. So I see those like companies and I'm like, wow, they've, taking such an easy approach. They're just doing this, but like purple, I'm like cool. And I'm yeah. like, damn it. So that's really, really, I find that to be really, really soul crushing. Cause like you're fighting for every dollar and to try to get every customer and you're trying to raise money from capital. And then you see the people who like, were like turned you down or maybe were excited by you tell the, like invest in something so much things in you. And I think those things tend to be, to be honest, just like very demotivating. But again, I've been on the other side too, which is like, but you have a choice, right? You can decide to do that as well. And something keeps you from not doing it. You know, first of all, you don't want to be distracted by it. But there's also this strong voice in your head. That, okay, don't even think about going that route. Yeah, it's just like a way to like, you know, there's a great book called Delivering Happiness. And anyway, they spend a lot of time talking about everybody in the world is looking for purpose. Like, how much money do you actually need? And the answer is not that much. 
like he talks about it and he like he sells his company he's investing 200 million dollars over four years he's one year in there's 150 million dollars on the table and he goes what do i want with the money and he's like all i want to do is buy a bigger tv and buy a nicer apartment he's like i can do that with my 50 million i don't need the other 150 million instead of being miserable for the next four years so everyone's looking for a purpose everyone's looking for something that will give them energy a purpose and i think the thing that reminds me is like i think money is a bad motivator in general i think narrator pays everyone enough to be comfortable and like not worry but like the race is not to become a like a hundred billion dollar company or just get a big sellout i'm trying to change how everyone works i want to be remembered i don't want to be rich and i think to be remembered you want to really make an impact on the dent of the world so that's it and i feel that passion with my customers tell me the stories and i feel passionate about the world and i keep going and i think that's the thing that always reminds me that like all this news is like yeah yeah you raised a hundred million dollars and like that money could have been better used if we had it but like you're not going to start like the sound tells like you're not going to last you have a hundred person team doing something that's not important you're just you can the hoorah energy can last so long and money can excite and you can throw parties and you get people excited that way but it's different than giving people purpose and i think when you give people purpose they just continue with you and that's what the team of narrator has done with us like they get all the credit and they've stayed with me the whole way and i think that's why in like 100 years when people look at it and data is different and you say how did this happen and you say like you forget everyone else but the person who changed it is remembered and the company that changed it is remembered and i think that's what we are trying to do we're out there to be remembered and make an impact and i think money will come or it might not come and it might take us 10 years like we've been doing this like a lot of companies do this like Raise, I was thinking like two years and we're like, we've been, this is our sixth year. Like, and I'm like, I'm fine. I've been very happy. I love what I do every day and I'll do it for the next hundred until I die. Like, and we might die and someone else might take it over and continue to carry the light forward. But every day we make a little bit more of a dent and add a little bit more credibility and more people get to experience something that they've never experienced before. And that's how we end up changing the world. Sounds well like said. Well said. I love the words that you're using. I mean, I'm typically using words like what the book that I wrote for companies that want to get noticed for the change that they're delivering. But I think the word remember is is super powerful here because that's really where you've created an impact. That's what it's all about. Well said. So where can people go to find out more about Narrative or to connect to you and say hi? Yeah, so check out our website, narratedata.com or narrative.ai. We now are switching, so you can use either. LinkedIn, my LinkedIn is very active. Follow me, talk to me, message me. And if you're like, hey, I want to call you out on anything you said, or I want to see this in action, my email is Ahmed at narrator.ai. So feel free to reach out directly to me and I will respond and I will show you and we can go through this together. So, and if you find me anywhere else and you want to reach out, feel free to reach out. Happy to always talk to you. And every time, every day is another person who joins the revolution. So come be part of Narrator. Perfect. Glad to use that word revolution again with it, because that's what you're really creating. So yeah. Thanks for telling the story. Thanks for the passion. Yeah, the kind of the stance that you take, the thing that you try to defend and to fight for with the team. That's amazing. And we need more entrepreneurs like you. Thanks. Thank you. I'm so excited. It was really lovely talking to you and I'm excited. And this ends my conversation with Ahmed. I hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please leave a review on iTunes. And if it inspired you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that... Thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Ahmed El Samadisi, founder and CEO of Narrator. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, 
to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book, or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.